This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Reed Nichols, outfielder for the Montreal Expos, card number 748. Okay, Reed Nichols, and why are we talking about Reed today? I was looking for some inspiration this week, looking at the good old 88 Tops blog from friend of the show at High Heat Stats, just clicking through some different teams, and I saw that this was Reed Nichols' last Tops card. And I thought, that's a nice short career. Maybe he has a Sabre bio. And guess what? He does. Yes. So thank you to Matthew Perry, presumably the famous one, for writing this Sabre bio about Reed Nichols. This might be a straightforward episode where we don't get off on any tangents and we just talk about a guy's eight-year MLB career. Reed Nichols, he's an okay player. I'm sure that we won't be diverted by any foolishness or shenanigans along the way so let's go right to the front of 748 and david you've mentioned this before that we don't often say that cards are bad cards or that they don't look like great cards but man i don't have much to say about the front of this card 748 except that it's not flattering to reed nichols at all he's in the batter's box as a right-handed batter uniform looks great but you can only see it really from the side. He's just finished a swing so you can see his back. You see his very strained face, so it's really not a flattering image of his face. I do have the lovely Expos pinwheel batting helmet, but I got to say that Reed's going to feel like there are probably better portraits of him. It looks like it was a cold day. You've got a long sleeve shirt underneath the sky blue Expo's uniform is good, but we don't get to see any logos, really. We see maybe one person sitting in the dugout. Nothing interesting going on in the dugout. Some blurry people in the stands. And again, the terrible use of green and orange for the Expos just makes no sense with the color scheme. Later on, we'll get to a card that looks way better of Reed Nichols, one that he should frame. Going to the back of 748 looks much better. I think proportion-wise, this is a very good back of 88 Tops card. You've got Reed Nichols, outfielder, height 5'11", weight 172, right-handed batter and thrower. Drafted by the Red Sox in the 12th round of 1976. Born August 5th, 1958 in Ocala, Florida, with a home in Sarasota, Florida. I was looking at the name Reed. I went to school with a Reed, but it was spelled more like the plant. And this Reed, this spelling of Reed, was the 598th most popular name the year that Reed was born. We often bring that up when talking about names because they fall off the charts. Reed, spelled as Reed Nichols' name is spelled, was the 299th most popular name in 2021. So that one was moving on up. Probably people who were just fans of the basketball player J.R. Reed. Uh, Yes, or LinkedIn founder and CEO Reed Hoffman the two top reads that's really all I got off the top of my head I don't think I've ever met anyone with a read spelled in that way but this read Reed Nichols was born in Ocala Florida in northern Florida between Gainesville and Orlando I had to look up the pronunciation to make sure that I didn't call it Ocala Ocala is the proper pronunciation it is the horse capital of the world home to over 
400 thoroughbred farms. Horse racing is really big business in Ocala. The town had around 12,000 people when Reed was born, grown to over 60,000 now. In the 1960s, there was a band from Ocala that was one of the first big pop bands, that big is in quotes, from Florida. They had one of the first big pop hits out of Florida. They were called the Royal Guardsmen, and they had a song called Snoopy versus the Red Baron. 80 men died, now they're buried together on the countryside. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 or more, the bloody Red Baron was rolling up the score. 80 men died, in that street of the bloody Red Baron of Germany. I was not aware of this song. After hearing it, I'm glad that I wasn't aware of it. Yeah, inexplicably, this song made it to number two on the charts behind only the Monkees, I'm a Believer. Now, I'm a Believer is a pretty good song. And that song, I'm a Believer, was written by uh, Neil Diamond. I mean, of course, made famous by the band Smash Mouth, but (laughs) written by Neil Diamond. That's a great song. This one is just a weird song. The, The 60s and... Like the gimmick song, stuff like the Chipmunks having number one records where they just sped up songs, the 50s and 60s, just a weird time for music. And you also have them competing with like legitimately great artists that stand the test of time. And then instead you have this song about Snoopy being a fighter pilot fighting against the Germans. You know, we'll link to this very bizarre clip art video that was made as well. I don't know if I can suggest listening to this song, but it's very strange. The band was sued by Charles Schultz and United Features Syndicate, who actually won. And the band had to give them a cut of the profits made off of this song. There's an article in the Tampa Bay newspaper that said the Royal Guardsmen were the really one of the first rock bands to make it out of Florida. And such a great legacy that they have left for us uh, you know, to listen to. There's, they have multiple songs about Snoopy. <laughs> their thing. <laughs> Reed grew up around that time. You know, probably as an eight-year-old, he was listening to the Royal Guardsmen bopping along to songs about Snoopy. His dad was an outboard motor mechanic, but he didn't play organized baseball until he was 11. And in that first year, he made his league's all-star team. As a youth, he also played some games at Grant Field in our favorite city in Middle Earth, Dunedin. Later, that field, Grant Field, became the spring training home of the Blue Jays. Despite the proximity to spring training sites in Florida, Reed wasn't much of an MLB fan, and he said that the first pro game that he attended was one that he played in. Ocala High School is now known as Forest High. Other alums include punter Rick Tootin, who had a great mullet and was perhaps best known for his time with the Seahawks. Rick passed away in 2017 at the age of 52. Mava Lee Thomas, who played in the All-American Girls Baseball League and is featured in the Women in Baseball display at Cooperstown. And Scott Brantley, a teammate of Reed on the Ocala baseball team, was a standout outfielder and was drafted by the Mets. But he also played football and went on to play at the University of Florida and then played for the Buccaneers and was listed on the 100 greatest players from the state of Florida football list. Reed played baseball at Ocala High along with Brantley and starred on that Ocala team. And Brantley drew Major League Scouts to Ocala, who also noticed Reed. And the two high schoolers had a tryout with the Dodgers 
Their coach also had a contact with the Red Sox, George Digby. Digby was responsible for signing Wade Boggs, Mike Greenwell, Jody Reed. He was a scout for more than 60 years and the first scout inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. He passed away in 2014 at the age of 96. When the 1976 draft came around, Brantley was picked in the sixth round by the Mets, even though he was committed to play football at Florida. And Nichols had signed a letter of intent to play baseball at Auburn and wasn't really paying attention to the draft, didn't think anything would come of it. Then in the 12th round, the Red Sox, on the recommendation of Digby, picked Reed. The Red Sox had a good draft that year of 1988 Topps guys. First round, they picked Bruce Hurst. The second round, they picked Glenn Hoffman. Mike Smithson got picked up in the fifth round. And then Wade Boggs in the seventh round. And finally, Reed Nichols in the 12th. And Reed was only 17 years old. So he needed his parents' blessing to sign this contract. And they said yes. He decided to pass on college and go pro at the age of 17. He started out with the Elmira Pioneers and played with a lot of those guys that we just named. This is a, a really good team to have Wade Boggs on it and Reed Nichols and Bruce Hurst. Reed then spent two years in low A ball in Winter Haven. He struggled as an 18-year-old playing against guys in their 20s. He didn't really have incredible numbers, hit 264 in 1977, 247 in 1978. Gets called up to high A at Winston-Salem. And he ended up having a great year, earning himself some fun facts. Yeah, that's right. This card I mentioned has great proportions. And that is that there are nine lines of stats and then room for fun facts at the bottom. The fun fact is that Reed had a 293 batting average and led Carolina League with 107 runs and 156 hits at Winston-Salem in 1979. And he topped loops outfielders with 23 assists. He led the league in hits, but only had a 293 average. That's interesting. Just had a ton of at-bats, got a lot of hits. But that's a, a, a very good year for Reed. On top of those numbers that you listed, he also had 12 home runs, stole 66 bases, and had a 30-game hitting streak. He finished second in league MVP voting to Bob Dernier, who was traded for Mike Diaz, as we discussed last week. That earned Reed a spot at Red Sox spring training, where he played well, hitting 400 in exhibition games. But the Red Sox decided he wasn't quite major league ready. So he leapfrogs double A, goes straight to Pawtucket for 1980, and he slumped at Pawtucket. But he said, I went out and bought some cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, and I showed up to the stadium wearing it and decided it was time to have fun playing baseball again. And after that, I improved. Well, yeehaw, he hit 276 that year with four home runs and 23 steals. Very solid numbers and good enough for him to get a September call up to the Red Sox team that was over 500 that year, but still in fifth place in the AL East, 19 games back. So they're not in contention. They're going to give the young kids a shot. He made his debut on September 16th, starting in center field and batting leadoff. He reached base in his first three plate appearances, first on an error, then a walk. And then finally, his first major league hit, a single off Ross Grimsley, and John Tudor got the win in that game against Cleveland. Reed played in 12 games to end the season in 1980, hitting 222, but he did remain in the majors for 1981. And we see a lot of that on this card, seasons with under 100 games, seasons with 100 at-bats. Reed Nichols was mostly a bench player throughout his career. He started a little bit slow, but he's still only 21, 22 years old. The reason he didn't get consistent playing time is that this Red Sox team had a pretty good outfield. Their center fielder was Rick Miller, who got most of the starts. 
And the corner outfield spots were taken up by Dwight Evans and Jim Rice. Not a lot of space for a young Reed Nichols, not really a power hitter. He's not going to dislodge either of those two great players in right and left field. He plays only 39 games in the strike short in 1981, and the lack of playing time didn't help his progress. He hit only 188. The team appreciated him as a bench asset, and in 1982, manager Ralph Houck used him a little bit more, and Reed was effective. He hit 302 with seven home runs in 265 plate appearances. That's a 113 OPS+. plus. Houck also liked Nichols as a pinch runner for his speed, though he only had five steals. And on August 23rd, he had a pretty interesting day. Yeah, Gaylord Perry was pitching. In the fifth inning, Nichols asked home plate umpire David Phillips to check the ball. Phillips issued a warning to Gaylord Perry. And then in the seventh, with Rick Miller at the plate, Phillips tossed Perry from the game. He was warned for having a foreign substance on the ball, and I told him if it happened again, I don't care how it got there, he would be ejected, said Phillips. Gaylord Perry denied this, saying Phillips was out to get us. This was Perry's only ejection in his entire Hall of Fame career, which is uh, surprising, let's say. Yeah, Gaylord Perry, pretty well known for using substances on a ball. Nichols, when asked about speaking up, said, In the bottom of the third inning, I was standing in left field, and a voice came to me reminding of the scripture that, quote, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. So when I got up to the plate in the next inning, I asked the umpire to check the ball. So a divine voice speaking to Reed in the outfield told him that some funny business was happening. Later in that same game, so along with getting Gaylord Perry thrown out of the game for the only time in his career, Nichols hits a two-run home run in the eighth inning that put the Red Sox in the lead. And then he preserved that victory by throwing out Dave Henderson at home plate in the bottom of the eighth. And this was another close call that resulted in Dave Henderson getting ejected. So a busy day for umpire David Phillips and a good day for Reed Nichols all around. Appreciate the shout out to the prophet Isaiah getting involved in in major league umpiring. Reed's play in 1982 had many people thinking that he would be the starter in 1983, but he was playing winter league ball in the Dominican Republic when news got to him that the Red Sox had made a trade for Tony Armas, another outfielder that he would be competing with. He was disappointed, but a good team player. He said, I'm content with whatever I get to do. I'm going to do whatever I can to help the club. I'm not going to complain about anything. We've got a good outfield. You never know what could happen. I'll be ready to go in there when I'm needed, just like last year. And that attitude served him well. He ended up playing in 100 games that year. Tony Armas had only a 218 average, but... He hit 36 home runs and finished second in the league. So Reed, while he had 100 games that he played, he would never be a regular starter the rest of his career. Yeah, he played this season all over the outfield, 10-plus games in each outfield position, and he also played some at DH. He hit 285 and 274 at-bats, and in 21 pinch hit appearances, he hit 316. So he's only 24, and that Swiss Army Knife season earns Reed a five-year contract. Which is a good deal for him. 1984, he was used less frequently and was also less effective. He only played in 74 games and started only 30. He had a run of 21 straight starts from April to May, uh, during which time he only hit 219. And after that, his starts were few and far between. But he was still a good option off the bench, hitting 292. With a 933 OPS, 
in his substitute appearances. But in 1985, the downward trend continues. Redont played in only 21 games through July. And the Red Sox had rookie Steve Lyons playing alongside Rice and Evans. So again, Nichols not being thought of as a starter. And the Red Sox thought maybe it was time to move him along and get some value for him. They give him a start on July 10th. At this point, he's hitting only 167, has no homers, only the seventh start of the season. And he gets in the game against Oakland. He walks in the second inning, strikes out in the fourth, and then comes up in the seventh inning, and he hits a home run off Bill Kruger. Next inning, he gets taken out of the game. The very next day, he is traded to the Chicago White Sox for pitcher Tim Lawler. That home run puts Reed in the company of greatness. He has the distinction of homering in his final Red Sox at bat. I don't have a full list of players, but this is something that Ted Williams did. Of course, Ted Williams, that was the final at bat of his Hall of Fame career. A little bit more dramatic than Reed Nichols, not really (laughs) knowing that this was the final at bat of his Red Sox career, playing for three more seasons after that in various cities. But, you know, something in common with Ted Williams is, that's nice. Yeah, I'll take it. And Reed gets to move to Chicago. The change of scenery got him a little bit more playing time, which helped his productivity, helped him get his stroke back. He hit 297 in 51 games for the White Sox in 1985. This was a decent White Sox team. We've talked about it before. They finished third that year, six games behind the Royals in the American League West. And we have something that should be a fun fact on this card. Thanks to the Brewers' Twitter account in February of 2014, they said, fun fact, Brewers special assistant to the GM, Reed Nichols, caught the last out in Tom Seaver's 300th win. So that's a fun fact. That's more fun than leading a minor league in assists. Reed was involved in this historic moment on August 4th when he caught the last out, catching a fly ball hit by Don Baylor in Tom Seaver's 300th win. I wanted to see Reed Nichols in a White Sox uniform because I don't really remember him on that White Sox team. And I pulled up his 1987 Tops card. This card, this looks like a baseball player. This is a beautiful card. We have the old block letter, red, white, and blue White Sox hat, the block letter socks across the jersey, the patch on the sleeve. And Reed, this is a good looking guy. He just looks like a stereotype of a baseball player. This is a beautiful card. And I was just wondering, Matt, like, why do we talk about these ugly 1988 (laughs) Tops cards? It's a good point. Uh, the 87 top set, you know, I will admit, David, that the second most popular question I receive when I tell people that I co-host a podcast about the 1988 tops baseball card set is why do you do 88 instead of 87? 87 is the best. 87 is my favorite. And is the answer that at this point we are pot committed? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. You know, we have, I think, good answers. There are some very good-looking cards in this set. There's a, There are color schemes that are very nice. The wood grain paneling is not for everybody. And by the way, for those of you at home who are wondering what the most frequently asked question is, why on earth do you have a podcast about a single year of baseball cards? And that, friends, that's called the, the blue water in the ocean that you can capture. Those are people that are just future fans of the 1988 Tops podcast. They're friends we haven't yet met. That's right. And this Reed Nichols card, Reed should frame this one. This one's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. 
It's a, I mean, it, it helps that I like that's my favorite White Sox uniform. I also like the the design of this card that it has the logo for the team in the corner. It's a nice little match because the Sox logo has a guy with a bat in his hand. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's Reed Nichols. You know, look, there he is. That's just to remind you, this is a baseball team. In 1986, the Sox got off to a slow start. They were 12 games under 500 in June when they fired Tony La Russa. I don't know whatever happened to that guy. Through June 3rd, Reed was hitting only 180. He had only started 12 games. He was better in the second half of the season. He had 259 but still only starting 18 games that second half. Good off the bench, though. Hit 364 in his 22 substitute at-bats compared to 202 as a starter. This was a team that lost 90 games. Wasn't a great year for Reed. Wasn't a great year for the White Sox. He was released by the Sox at the end of spring training and signed with the Expos for 1987. The Expos this year had some, uh, let's call them contract issues with Tim Raines, so they needed somebody to play in the outfield while they worked that out. And Reed was available, and he was pretty good when he got playing time. And I think what you just pointed out, Matt, he didn't hit well when he was a starter, but his starts were so few and far between that he just never could get in the groove. This season, he ends up getting some starts, getting some playing time, games in a row, he played in 77 games, hits 265 with four home runs, two triples, eight doubles, and 147 at-bats. A pretty good year. As a starter, he hit 276, so a good dependable player to plug into a pretty good Expos team that would go on to challenge for the division title. Reed enjoyed his time in Montreal. He, he liked his teammates. He said there wasn't as much pressure there. We had a good team that year, and after the games, there would be 12 guys going out to dinner together. So some good camaraderie, as well as maybe a little bit less of the bright lights of a big baseball city being in Montreal. Sounds like a great atmosphere, and yes, some good restaurants in Montreal, so good for him. He was released after the season, though, and signed a minor league deal with the Rangers, played a year at AAA Oklahoma City, then signed with the Cubs for 1989, but didn't make it out of spring training, so he retired at age 30. So closing the book on Reed Nichols, eight seasons in the major leagues, 540 games, batting average of 266 with 63 doubles, 22 home runs, and 103 RBIs. And according to the 1988 Topps blog, Nichols hit one triple every year from 1980 to 1985 and was the only guy to do that during that time period. I thought that was a fun fact. That is a, <laughs> that is a fun fact. Guys hit a lot of triples during that time, uh, but Nichols is the only guy to hit one, just one. Exactly one triple. Who did Reed love to face? Against Shane Raleigh, he batted 429 with a 1.119 OPS in his 27 plate appearances. That was his most plate appearances against any pitcher. I'm sure he was excited every chance he got to see him. He also went 10 for 21 against Tommy John. And who did he hate to face? Only 1 for 18 against Louisiana Lightning, Ron Guidry. How about in retirement? Right after he retired, he got his license to become a fishing charter boat captain. I don't know why I'm thinking of Reed Nichols wearing a little captain's hat on a fishing boat. He ran his own business, but after a couple of years, he realized he didn't really like it. He said he felt too much pressure running his own business and felt a lot of pressure from the customers and, and having to please his customers. So he ends up giving up on that business and goes into the, you know, the low stakes, no pressure of baseball front office work. <laughs> when Reed played for the White Sox, he met GM Roland Heeman. 
Heeman liked him and he trusted Reed Nichols. One time he said Nichols was reimbursed extra money and he returned it to the team. So this is a guy that showed he was trustworthy. Heeman was with the Orioles at this point, and he hired Reed to be a coordinator and coach under assistant GM Doug Melvin. Then in 1994, Doug Melvin is hired by the Rangers as GM, and he brings Nichols along as the farm director. Reed got some good publicity in that position, setting up an etiquette and financial literacy program for prospects, and this was featured in a Wall Street Journal article. He served in that role until 2001 when he became the Rangers' first base coach, and then Doug Melvin moved to the Brewers in 2002 and rejoined him back as the farm director, director of player development. He served in that role for 13 years, developing players like Ricky Weeks, Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder. When Melvin left his GM position in 2015, Nichols was also let go. He worked for a few years with MLB and Team USA, setting up camps in Florida, but then he retired in 2018 at the age of 60. He lives in Arizona now with his wife, Elaine. He has three daughters from a previous marriage, Amanda, Aaron, and Kendall. Kendall played volleyball at Liberty University. And Reed now spends his time hunting, fishing, and playing golf. This is a player I didn't remember and hadn't heard of, but what do we think about him after looking into him more? I also didn't really have any thoughts about Reed Nichols prior to looking at this card. I didn't really remember him as a White Sox player. He spent only a short time in Chicago when I wasn't really paying attention on an everyday basis to the players on the field. But he had a kind of an interesting career, and there's some pretty good quotes from him about the way that he looked at baseball. And when you read these quotes, it does set him up for a future in a front office and a future in player development and talking to young people. I found one video where he was talking to a Christian broadcast, maybe in the early 80s. He was talking about some of the struggles that young players face with the possibilities of drugs and alcohol. And he just spoke very clearly about his motivation, about fulfilling potential, about those kind of intangible things, and just spoke very intelligently about life and faith and and those kind of things. And I found this quote where he said that fulfilling my potential is what I work toward every day. And the harder I work, the better I feel I'm getting. But no matter how good I get, it won't take care of everything. It won't take care of my happiness. Even if I learned to bat 400, I have to be happy with myself when I walk home. When you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror to shave, it's still you there, whether you hit 400 or 200. And I thought that was good perspective for a guy who was not a highly touted prospect. Even on his high school team, he wasn't necessarily the best player on his high school team. All through the minors, he's behind all of those guys who are drafted higher, those guys with higher potential, the Wade Boggs and and others. And then when he goes into player development, this is maybe the perfect guy to talk to young players. He felt one of the most important parts of that job was talking to young players who are about to be released. And he said, if someone wasn't going to make it in the big leagues, I felt like we were doing them a favor to help them get their life going outside of baseball. I would sit with them and talk to them about it. And that's why he set up that program to talk to players about life beyond baseball and financial literacy, saving your money, and and those kind of important things that maybe in the 80s and 90s, players weren't getting taught. We look at some of these guys who made dollars $60,000 a year tops in the late 80s, and they weren't set up for life. And Reed going into the 2000s when there's even more big money in the game could really help these players. Yeah, and especially for a guy who was drafted out of high school, became pro at 17, didn't go to college, 
didn't have a backup plan given to him. It's admirable kind of how responsible he was and that he sought that out to educate himself and then to eventually educate others. Because we've heard plenty of stories of athletes who go pro right out of high school. And if things don't work out, they're left on really hard times. You know, they're left without a plan B. So that is a really responsible thing and an important thing for coaches at all levels to recognize uh, and instill in players. So that's great. That's actually really great to hear about Reed Nichols. I guess, yeah, I like this guy. We didn't really expect much out of this card, this quite boring card (laughs) and pretty good career, pretty good post-playing career. Indeed. So thank you, David, for that story. And thank you to you at home. If you've got a dinner reservation for 12 for poutine, We'd love to join you. You can just reach us at Tops 1988. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.